speaking about the Reconstruction era as well as reparations, we have to go back to what brought upon the Reconstruction era, which was the Civil War. And for Black History Month, we want to recognize two black history figures, heroes, and American patriots who are not recognized enough. We first want to recognize a black woman by the name of Kathy Williams. Kathy Williams was an African-American soldier in the U.S. Army under the name William Kathy. She became the first black woman to enlist and the only documented woman to serve in the United States Army posing as a man. So she is black America's Mulan. Kathy Williams is the only documented black woman to serve in as a soldier in the U.S. Army in the 19th century, and she was born as a slave approximately around 1850 in Jackson County, Missouri. She, in 1861, served as a cook and washerwoman for the Union Army officers and remained in the Army throughout the Civil War, serving at Little Rock, Arkansas, New Orleans, and Shiverport, Louisiana, and Savannah and Macon, Georgia. In 1864, she shortly served as a cook and washerwoman for General Phil Sheridan and his staff at the Shenandoah Valley Campaign. On November 15, 1866, Williams hid her gender and enlisted as William Cathy, serving in Company A of the 38th Infantry. The company was a newly formed all-black regiment, and at the times, historian claimed that Kathy said the reason she joined the army was because, and I quote, I wanted to make my own living and not be dependent on relations or friends. Talk about a strong black woman. So she served at Jefferson Barracks outside of St. Louis and was later moved to Fort Cummings and Fort Bayard in New Mexico territory where many black soldiers were stationed. They were pretty much stationed in Western Outpost after the Civil War. However, of course, being given inadequate supplies and inferior weapons. And she was able to conceal her gender until discovered by the post-surgeon at Fort Bayard. And then she was discharged at Fort Bayard October 14, 1868 on a surgeon's certificate of disability. However, she was not able to get the disability claim uh, in her later years when she was hospitalized uh, due to the fact that they said it was a false disability claim being under the name of William Caffey. So she was not able to receive her pension for her service. Um, she was hospitalized in 1890 and it looks as if that her, her death date is unknown. Then secondly, we want to recognize a man by the name of Robert Smalls. Robert Smalls was born April 5th, 1839, in Beaufort, South Carolina, and was a slave until he was 12 years old. Uh, at 18 years old, he had negotiated to keep all the $15 of his monthly pay, and he began saving his money, which he used to buy his wife and daughter's freedom for $800. He was known for being able to work on Confederate transport steamers with his master and a captain by the name of General Rosalie Ripley. He commanded the 2nd Military District of South Carolina. Now, he knew all the hand signs and all the gestures in order to get past 
the soldiers at that port. So he took himself, his wife and children, and 12 other slaves and stole the ship, wore the hat and the coat in the middle of the night, and made those hand gestures to take that ship across the border of the Confederacy and sail into the border of the Union. After he and his family and 12 others were free, he ended up joining the Union Army. And he, in 1863, was promoted to captain, becoming the first black American to hold that rank in the history of the United States Navy. He was also able to persuade a reluctant President Abraham Lincoln to allowing black people into the Union Army because there was a fear that they would be too scared or they were not capable or smart enough to actually fight in that war. While they also knew the territory of the South, which a lot of the Union soldiers didn't and were being worn out. And that turned the tide of the Civil War. But the history doesn't stop there for Mr. Robert Smalls. He was also able to, after the Civil War, become a politician in the Republican Party, which was the party of Lincoln at that time. And he was elected to South Carolina's House of Representatives and the South Carolina Senate. And then later on, he joined the House of Representatives of the United States, representing South Carolina's 5th and 7th congressional districts. And he represented those districts between 1868 and 1889. The thing he's very famous for after that was establishing, or even during his time in Congress, was establishing the first public school system in America. So, Kathy Williams, a.k.a. William Kathy, and Robert Smalls, two black history figures, two patriots that helped form the United States of America today. And that is why we want to honor them and therefore continue to talk on the Reconstruction Era and reparations. Welcome to Third Paradigm. We are your hosts, I'm Clarity, and as always, with me is Nuance. Third Paradigm is a digital third place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The host and guests come from all backgrounds and different ways of thinking. We at Third Paradigm will discuss ideas and facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer here, hosts and guests will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm. However, when we, the host, share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make it right as soon as possible because we believe in practicing integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. So, uh, Clarity, what is our episode today for Black History Month? Well, we're going to be talking about reparations today. And before we begin, we'd like to take the opportunity to thank our guests who are participating for our episode today. We have Dwight, Brittany, and Dan. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, guys. Yep, we, we definitely... Um, it's going to be an interesting topic, reparations, because that also ties into the other part of the topic, which is the Reconstruction era, and that's an interesting time in American history, and I think it's worth exploring. So, um, yeah, I think that, that that's awesome. Um, do you mind going over to Brown Rules, Clarity? So, for Clarity, <laughs> let's go over some house rules. 
in our structure this evening. Please mute your microphone when you're not speaking. This is to give respect to other participants and avoid feedback or background noise. Because this is a digital podcast, call lagging may cause disruptions or interruptions. We apologize for this as it is beyond our control. We will direct the questions to an individual participant and then open it to the floor. Each question will roughly take about five minutes to answer in total. Not five minutes per person, but five minutes per question. When answering or commenting, please announce yourself so that listeners know who's speaking. This will include us, the host. Last rule we have is to please respect each other. Refrain from insulting others here today. We have maybe we may have disagreements, and that's wonderful. Let's keep it simple. All right, so everybody ready? Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Awesome. So now for All right. Icebreaker. All right. So icebreaker question. I'm gonna ask this one, and uh, clearly you can ask the first question. So icebreaker question, especially since this is Black History Month, I thought we ought to have a nice controversial fight real quick. Um, if you had to choose, which form of soul food would you choose if you had to? Would it be holiday soul food, which is Thanksgiving and Christmas, or would it be the summer barbecue cookout soul food? Which one you gonna choose? Oh, oh holiday. Why? Really? Okay. Because it's a special occasion. It's holiday. Absolutely. You can have barbecue during the summer anytime. Mm. I hate to say it, I'm not I'm not a big ribs guy. So yeah, let's go with <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Dan, you, Dan, you got anything on this? Um, that's kind of tricky. So our favorite uh, soul food. Like if you if if soul food is for in the black community. It, would you do you prefer the holiday soul food from like Thanksgiving and Christmas, or do you prefer prefer the the soul food during the summer barbecues? That's tricky. Um, hmm. I'm definitely a holiday type of person, so I'll probably lean on the holidays just because it just feels like I don't know. I <laughs> I'm gonna blame that. I can't really compare. <laughs> three for three. Yeah, the wow, ice right. is the same. The ice is the same. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> the ice so is the same. So what do you, so what do you think, Nuan? Oh my gosh. So, so I was when I thought about this question, I was talking with um, our team. So I mentioned that you know what, the big thing that's the difference, other than maybe some of the food, because honestly, I, I've seen barbecue food. During Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, soul food, depending on whose house you go to. But the well, big difference is the desserts. The desserts you get for the holidays versus the desserts you have for the summer. I, I, mm, I love holiday soul food, don't get me wrong. But it's just something about summer and barbecue. And I'm, I love me some barbecue. And I just love the get together of being in the sun and just bringing people to the cookout. And even though I think 
I, I definitely respect everybody's position on like, you know, the holiday specific, it is a certain time, but it's just something about the summertime I just love. And I look forward just to the smell of barbecue when I'm driving down the street. I just do. So I'm going with the, I'm, I'm going with the summer barbecue and I want my red velvet cake with my strawberry um, soda on Juneteenth. So what about you, Clarity? Well, um, I am a... Um, oh, strawberry pop. Sorry. All those in the I guess I'm the black sheep here, no pun intended. Um, yeah, I'm actually a, a vegan-leaning vegetarian, so um, <laughs> okay. I, 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 think it's rather, I think it's rather hard to decide because, you know, the side dishes are awesome for both. So, ooh, that's true. It's hard for me to decide. Um, that is true. But if I, but if I, but if I had to, if I had to say, you know, like, I think the summer is really good because I, I, I love the cool, refreshing food, especially, mm. especially the cold dessert. And um, unfortunately, winter is not the best time to ice up. So. All right. So I guess we gotta. Well, we got a 3-2 vote here, so I guess Holiday Soul Food still wins the day. Holiday Soul Food. Guess that, I guess that's why the movie Soul Food picked Thanksgiving, so. <laughs> Amen. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, Clarity, you want to take us on to our first question? Oh, not a problem. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this over to Manifest. Um, right. um Dwight, um, what yes. have you been taught about? the reconstruction era history from your feeling history. All right. Um, honestly, basically nothing. I mean, when I was, <laughs> I went to a school at um, University of Jesuit Detroit High School, and then I transferred to St. Martin de Porres, and, um, and we did learn something. I mean, we heard about the Harlem Renaissance, and uh, but the, the reconstruction was really only like the Fugitive Slave Act, you know, um, stuff with uh, Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman, you know, and then um, when I went into some of my poetry classes, I found out a little bit about Phyllis Wheatley, and, and later on we ran into the, like, the Dred Scott case a little bit, but generally we didn't learn anything about, like, like politics or um, kind of the people who uh, really, uh, the black people that made some impact on uh on legislature and uh, so no i did we didn't we didn't learn almost anything about that just 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 very surface information okay um anybody right. else want to chime in here i mean same um the, when i went to school i didn't learn much about the reconstruction era um, anything I learned came from my parents who wanted me, who invested in my education. And it came from independent research. It definitely didn't come from the school, the public school system, um, or even any, even education that I paid into. It didn't come from, it just didn't come from the school system. Hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, well, there's about, I think, about a few, few more minutes left on this um, question, if anybody else has anything to add. 
Yeah, Dan here. I grew up in a very, very white community. So when we discussed the Reconstruction era, I'm going to be honest, it feels like it was like a jump. Like it was almost like the way that I can recall it growing up was they would talk very in depth about uh, slavery and then um, the freeing of the slaves. And then the Reconstruction era almost kind of sped through. Like I remember very little about that time period and then it just jumped right to like world war ii and that's where they focused most of their energy on was world war ii and um yeah there, there wasn't a lot it was like i like i was mentioning it just felt like it just skipped over mm. okay well that leads into our next question actually um which is number two why do you believe that when oh uh, we talk about black history, especially during Black History Month, that what people tend to think about, um, whether they be white or black even, uh, or any other um, ethnic background, is just chattel slavery, the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s, like the height of it, and not the Reconstruction era. Why do you believe that um, we don't even think of that as part of black history or, or a significant part? And I'm going to direct that to Brittany. Um, well, I think the Reconstruction era was um, an era of accountability for this country. Um, you know, during the Reconstruction era, which was around, like, what, 1865 to 1877, um, enslaved people were free. Um, former slaves um, gained citizenship and rights. Um, they were granted the right to vote. Um, they made some strides in education, entrepreneurship, and um, like what, 2,000 or maybe more, um, black people were elected to um, local and state federal offices during Reconstruction. Um, you know, that was a time period where it seemed like, you know, I hate to kind of tag a line, but it seemed like black lives actually mattered at that time in the um, radical Republicans um, who were um, a faction in the government at that time seemed to recognize that. Um, I think Abraham Lincoln, or President Abraham Lincoln, um, you know, he didn't have the reputation that people believed he had. He really didn't want black slaves to really have the freedoms that they ended up having. Um, Johnson definitely didn't want them to have those freedoms. He actually was trying to give the South um, uh, trying to team up with the South at that time. So I just think that, you know, I think that, I think that, I just think that we just didn't have the, I think that the uh, Reconstruction era just showed that we didn't have the reputation that we thought we had. And I think that it, um, there's, our history has, you know, an has just kind of a red herring. And um, I think that they, you know, that tries to be hidden. So that's personally why I think that they don't like to teach that. And then plus what happened after, you know, the Reconstruction era, I think that when you see the potential of what black people can do, um, especially when we can pull ourselves up from our bootstraps, I think that, um, or from our own bootstraps, I think that, um, I think that, yeah, I think that that history does like to be hidden for uh, for many reasons. So, yeah, that's my two cents on that. Thank, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, 
Anybody else can go in. I've got a couple minutes. Um, I think I would piggyback on what Brittany was talking about. I, I do think that um, it's a certain kind of uh, imaging that seems to be happening. And we, I think we may be familiar with the idea of whitewashing in film and in um, and representation of like media, but I think there's a certain amount of whitewashing that happened in history as well during really most of the, the foundation of American history. It seems as if the only people that made any significant contributions to um, to the foundation of this country must only been you know, people that were white, right? Like, uh, so it certainly couldn't have been anybody that was Native American, you know, Asian or Latino um, or black that, that really pushed forth um, things in this country, at least according to the way that we looked at history growing up. And for some reason, someone like Christopher Columbus has to be just absolutely paramount in, in our historical text. I don't, mm-hmm. I think, I think those kind of things were why. I, I think that for us to not know that for in, in just a matter of two or three years, there were people who went from slavery to being completely, um, completely educated to the point of where they gained doctorates um, and got a chance to actually be a part of uh, creating legislature. You know, and um, just in, in a matter of years, and less and less than less than five years, if anybody gets a chance, they could look up uh, John Rock, like the abolitionist, and you'll find out how many amazing things that um, this this individual did. Um, but anyway, I think that's a part of of kind of how that that kind of happened. I don't I don't think it, it fit the imaging and the story that uh, that people wanted to tell about about American history. I think that's why. And if I may also piggyback, by 1877, most of the gains that we made were lost because the federal government pulled troops out of the South. They, and a lot of, there was a lot of backlash for that because there was racist legislation that effectively stripped blacks of their constitutional rights. Again, um, passing a bunch of racist legislation. So and restricted us again with a bunch of voting laws. So I just kind of wanted to piggyback off of that. So off of kind of what Little D was saying. So wanted to also say that too. So that might also be a reason as to why they're continuously whitewashing um, the schools with some of this stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Anybody, anybody else? Uh, Dan, you got something to add? Yeah, Dan here. Um, I'm going to say 110 billion percent on both Brittany and Manifest's perspective because growing up where I grew up, I grew up in like a 97 percent white community. And like I was mentioning on the last question, it felt like the Reconstruction era was something that was really quickly drafted over. And if I was to take a guess looking back on why did we skip so quickly through that era, I think in large part it's, it's the implicit biasy with white community, um, especially because like um, both Brittany and Manifest were mentioning how history is very much whitewashed. The narrative doesn't even start in Africa. When we talk about the history of black history, they don't even mention even Africa. They immediately go into the colonization, then into slavery, and then 
like the question I'm saying here, talking about the 1950s and 60s, I think part of the reason is because that narrative can, shows thing good, thing bad. I'm going to put it that way. White people are able to say slavery was terrible. Look at how bad they were treated and the emotions run and all that. And then once they get to the 1950s and 60s, see how the same people, the same, it's always Rosa Parks, it's almost, it's almost always MLK. And it shows this whole, like, they rose up from the, the, the ashes of slavery and now they have rights and all that. And that narrative sells in white community because of the fact that they're able to look at thing bad, slavery, thing good, civil rights, and not challenge themselves and say, well, what about the people who built themselves in communities? What about the communities that brought themselves together and was like, let's start pushing forward for our own sake? It's almost like, how does it relate to white people? And that's kind of like how I almost kind of see it. It's that implicit bias. You're like, we don't want to, we don't want to glorify all these other groups of people. We want to like focus on like, this was a bad time and this was a wonderful era. That's why a lot of times people keep working back to civil rights as if racism doesn't exist anymore. So it's, it's almost like a very, very whitewashed fantasy way of looking at American history. It's, and it leaves out so many other communities in that narrative. I, I, I do, I do want to um, ask a quick question. Um, do you think that it may be that, um, that um, white Americans who are living um, in, you know, in a more present time, do you think that it has a lot to do with the shame of the fight for slavery by the South? You know, they did... They did descend from, or I should say, um, they, they seceded from uh, from the Union. So, and they did that for the sole purpose, of, or at least for the main purpose of keeping slaves. Um, and that, and that, and that makes the notion of Reconstruction darker. Like, like, do we think that the current generation of white people are ashamed? Well, or, pre, or, that, or, that, that they, or that generation then are ashamed. Well, I, well I'm, I'm asking, do you think that they brush over it because they know exactly what the Civil War was for? And That's they a good question. And they, and they don't, don't want to address that part of the history. Okay, so... Go on ahead, Dwight. All right, so here's my opinion on that. I, I think that there's a lot of reasons. And, you know, uh, in the idealistic answer to that question is, it's not I'm so anti-you, I'm just pro-me. And so we're, you're, in a, you're in a situation where you're, this is kind of where, kind of um, the time where they're building uh, what it is to be an American, you know, you, you, and so there's, there's the development of like the myths. So you're, you're, you're creating, um, ultimately a mythology that, you know, but, but it's, it's something that people can relate to. People will say, okay, it's great to be an American, you know, and, and right around this time, I would imagine this is, you know, um, where we start to find out kind of the attractive things about being American, somewhere between being a cowboy and, 
you know, somewhere around the roaring 20s and, and where we start to see film and cinema where the ideologies of what American life is supposed to be about, these, these ideas don't fit into that. You know, so I, I think that's kind of the ideal nice way to put it. But the, the, the ugly part is, is sweet sunset really want to talk about how we treated Native Americans. Let's not, let's, let's put aside this ugly past. And at the end of it, let's push forward who we do want to be in the spotlight. And these are the people who are, are uh, more acceptable for this. We, anyway, I, I, I think that's kind of the, I think there's more reasons, but I think that's kind of the surface answer. Awesome. And real quickly, uh, Brittany, you said you had something to put answer to, to that question. Well, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say that I think that they were ashamed. Um, I probably would say that they might have been angry. I mean, you got to keep in mind that these people felt entitled to own property that were human beings. So I wouldn't necessarily say that they felt ashamed. And at this time, most of these people who owned this property, most of these slave owners who owned this property did not know how to work this land, which is why a good number of the slave owners either lost the land or the land just died. So I wouldn't necessarily say that they felt maybe shamed. I think they felt angry. They were angry at their government, and they committed treason. So I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, or I, I wouldn't, I guess I just wouldn't see it that way. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that or see that they were, I wouldn't see it as shame. Um, I see it as angry. I see people rising up against the government as angry, which is why both President Abraham and Johnson were so quick to forgive them. They were like, hey, as long, both of them were saying, hey, I'm willing to offer you a deal of some sort to get you guys to relax. So, I mean, they weren't even willing to punish these guys. So now, um, who was it? Uh, uh, Representative Stephen Thaddeus, I think his name was. Now, he was willing to punish all of them. But um, but not not the two, not President um, Lincoln or Johnson. Neither one of them was going to punish the South. So I that that's why I'm like, uh, I don't really know. Anytime people have risen against this government, there has not been punishment against people like that. So I, I don't, I just personally don't see that. I just don't see that as um, as shame um i i mean they they still have you know i I just don't i just personally don't see that that's my thoughts on that you know that's um thank you everybody for sharing and thank you um clarity for even bringing more clarity to this topic with that additional question because uh it kind of translates into what we just saw at the capitol where literally the confederate flag for the very first time was in the rotunda for the very first time. And that rotunda for the Capitol building was built 
during the Civil War by Abraham Lincoln. Everybody thought he was crazy. But the funny, mm-hmm. the funny thing also is, is that there were um, the anger. I definitely believe was there. If you go on YouTube and look up Vox Doc Vox's videos on the Wilmington, North Carolina massacre, it was called a White Declaration of Independence because you had black business people, black legislators. And the funny thing is they were actually working with working class poor whites who were farmers. And you had a white governor who was pretty progressive. You had a white mayor. And this is, this is the future Republican Party. And they just destroyed the Redeemer Dixiecrats who were the slaveholder party at the time in um, 1890 all the way through. And they had a violent rebellion with um, dynamite and bunch of Tommy guns. They threatened the record. Mm-hmm. This was a newspaper. They did a lot of racial imaging about a black boot with the word Negro on there on a white man. And um, according to people who've researched this, they said even if people weren't literate, they knew what that meant. And there was just stories about, hey, there were white women saying, hey, if this helps save white womanhood, lynch an uh, N-word every single day, a thousand of them if you have to. And there were a lot of people killed. They, there was a little violent takeover of Wilmington, North Carolina, and that happened all throughout the South. So, um, yeah. well, that leads us to the next question. Why is it good to further explore and promote the Reconstruction era of black history and to present this era as a crucial part of the American story? And I believe, Brittany, you wanted to take that. <laughs> Well, oh, and just to correct myself, his name is Thaddeus Stevens. That that was the um, representative's name. Um, Thank you. Thank you for that. uh, I think think it's important because it gives you an entire picture. I think um, anytime you have an imperfect picture of history or an incomplete picture of history, um, um, it leaves your view skewed. And um, I think anytime you don't have all the information and you're trying to relay it to somebody or if you're trying to um, learn something, um, you're never going to – I just think you need to have the full picture. That, there's no other way I can simplify that. I think, this, I think that's a simple question that deserves a simple answer. You just need to have the full picture. And um, I think – the only way to understand thyself is to know thyself. So, um, yeah, that's the best answer I can give that one. Awesome. Anybody else want to get in? <laughs> uh, sure. I think it's because um, black history is American history. You know, um, Native American history is American history. Latino and Asian history in America is American history. And if you if you um, if you deny that, you are disregarding the things that make us who we are. We we can't we really don't have an understanding of um, what this country is without an understanding of how how these things came to pass. And I I I I do want to keep bringing up different people because I I do like having conversations about black history, but I I think that there's lots of people who are just as overlooked. I mean, um and I think it's really important for us to know about about them as well because that tells me something about myself. You know, so um 
to kind of talk a little bit about how a lot of these questions seem to be really brilliantly rolling into each other. We were kind of talking about some of the things that happened at the Capitol recently. Well, I mean, in the 1860s during the the Reconstruction era, that's one of the period of times where the greatest threat of secession happened in the United States. Like there's about 11 uh, Southern states that were just going to secede from the, and they were going to call themselves Confederate States of America. Well, you know, part of the Reconstruction is a part of that. So, and that could tell us something about where we are right now and what that, what that means for us. Uh, you know, history matters. History, we're, we're living history right now. History, it, it, all of that matters. And, and having an understanding of what, what happened in the perspectives that also um, gives us insight to what we're, what we're dealing with, even, even today. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Danny, want to add anything? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing that came to mind, um, I was really thinking very deeply about um, one of those previous questions about the South and like how did they, like did was it out of fear and kind of ran from it? Well, what, what came to mind was um, what's called the United Daughters of the Confederacy. They were a group of women who were formed in more of the, this is a little bit after the Reconstruction era, but this is um, more of like 1890s. And they were widowed women, white women of fallen Civil War soldiers. And what they did is that they started the narrative that there was what was called the um, the lost cause. So they are one of the big reasons why a lot of people to this day would defend the Civil War over states' rights versus what it actually was, which was slavery. Um, what they did is that they held um, a lot of power because they were very well off and they would actually go into different schools and they would actually check over the textbooks and make sure that they were painting up the South as noble, as they were fighting from big government. And they literally rewrote history. In fact, there was a, um, a textbook, I think, from 1940 or 1950, because they still exist to this day, but they don't hold as much power as they once did. And they, they painted up the whole war as a lost cause. So when people to this day say, was it over slavery, was it not over slavery, that's exactly what the United Dodds of the Confederacy wanted. They also did massive fundraising to erect many of the statues. That's one big reason why they came up around more of the 1920s and 30s because of Jim Crow era. And they went as far as to teaching children Dixie songs, things like that, square dancing, a lot of things that they were trying to implement young children into this this narrative that carried over to this day. Mm. Thank you. Thank you all for sharing. Um, I think you all definitely answered the question really well. And uh, to, to everybody and to the audience, I highly recommend um, Dr. Martin Luther King's speech. It was on March 25th, 1965. He actually talked about reconstruction history and how uh, the racism was fabricated like it was in Wilmington, North Carolina, just like how the Daughters of Confederacy did those things, because there was actually more people coming together who were poor, who were immigrants, who were white and black, and turned everyone against one another. And um, more and more people like Professor Richard Wolf, 
um, shows like The Hill Rising with Crystal Ball. Uh, that there are people who are looking at Reconstruction history from all backgrounds and seeing how you had the people up top trying to keep everyone divided. And that was enough, the reason for that, because a lot of people went to the historically black colleges that were started in the Reconstruction era. I believe there were over 200 of them from the time of Reconstruction beginning to the end that were built. Some of them were K through 12 and some of them were college and grad school and everyone attended there. So the, the middle class um, pretty much was built in Reconstruction by a lot of black people. A lot of black inventions happened. So, uh, but I, I just appreciate all the answers. I just want to give that little bit of tidbit. Dr. King did a really wonderful speech on that um, era. And uh, this kind of transitions to our next topic because in the Reconstruction era came the idea of reparations. And reparations is more a more relevant political and policy topic, topic today in the United States discourse than it ever has been. And so it was started by uh, General Sherman from South Carolina. And he basically pitched the idea of 40 acres and a mule. So uh, Claire, do you want to uh, go over our next question for the audience? Sure. sure. In 1988, President Ronald Reagan signed into law reparations to be paid for those who were unjustly treated in the Japanese internment camps. The U.S. taxpayer also paid reparations to Jewish victims of the Holocaust who were denied entry to the country when the country knew what would happen. The Emancipation Proclamation that President Abraham Lincoln signed into law was enabled to pass due to the fact that the Union paid slave owners for the loss of income and wealth while failing to pay former enslaved black people what was promised, which was already a lower rate. So what's the fear of paying reparations for black people in America? Um, Brittany, would you like to go? I can, I can, I have something to say. Um, uh, I can go. Um, yeah, go for it. So, uh, so I'm speaking on a diaspora point of view. I think it's atonement, personally. Um, uh, I think, I think it's, I think it's just atonement for the things that America has done. It's holding itself accountable. Um, if they were going to pay reparations to the descendants of Africans, then that means they would have to pay it to to Africans of the entire Atlantic slave trade. Um, so that means descendants within Portuguese, uh, Britain, um, Spain, France, uh, the Dutch, Danish, I mean, even within Africa themselves. I mean, they, that's a, I, I don't, to simply answer the question, I think it's atonement. Um, yeah, to, uh, I do think that once again, it's, it's really about imaging. And I think what you're saying is really kind of the, 
central focus of what I what I would think of it as well. It's um you just it's not the right image for America to to look at this like that. Um it, once you're fabricating kind of like the American mythology, they romanticize um, you know, manifest destiny and and kind of the how the West was won, you know, which is the slaughter and rape and, and <laughs> kind of a a complete uh, destruction and obliteration of a of a whole uh, race, community, and and, and people, um, and and then those kind of things were also happening in, in in many other communities, not just black, but definitely the black community. Um, if you want to start to say, I, I just think there's an admission of guilt that would be there with reparations that I don't think that um, this country is just ready to to come to grips with. I, I don't think they're in a position where they can have that discussion with themselves yet. And I have seen some um, apologies, but we haven't had any financial uh, transaction. I I remember seeing an old um, interview of Dr. King, kind of talking. You know, not the Dr. King that we're that that we're you know, kind of advertised the the I Have a Dream Dr. King. It's the 1968 Poor People's. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, I'm sorry, campaign Dr. King, where he's kind of talking about how uh, Congress is giving away millions of acres of land, you know, to help white peasants from Europe. And they're giving land-grant colleges with government money and teaching people how to farm and providing county agents and, and mechanizing people's farms and, and providing low interest rates to these groups and, you know, federal subsidies and, you know, but, but none of that was offered. Um, to the black communities um and so <clears throat> i i personally i still feel like 40 acres and a mule falls far short of really what it is that would be beneficial um to a community so ravaged by just poverty and just kind of um i don't know something of a economic uh desolation and kind of how, how people even see themselves in, in this society. I, I, would, I would tend to extend that also to Native American um, groups. You know, I, I feel like they, that they're also overlooked in, in, in this right. But that's, that's how I feel about that. Um, just to give a little pushback follow-up. So why are they afraid to do it for black people though they've done it for all the other groups that you just mentioned like that was mentioned in the beginning of the question but also like you said they dr king talked about how they did it for the european peasants that came over here um and anybody can jump in on that one like why are they afraid to do it for us yeah yeah i don't know if it's so much that they're afraid i don't think they feel like they have to I mean, I don't think they feel like they have to. I mean, is that necessarily that they're afraid? 
I mean, I don't really feel like they have to. I mean, yeah, okay. That, 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 I'm that's gonna be honest. Much. I don't think they feel like they have to. If we go, I really don't want to. Okay, I'm gonna try not to do that. <laughs> All right, so yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I know I'm gonna try not to do that. So, Your discretion is advised on this show. Okay, I'll I'll say what I think. Um, I think when you're dealing in power and imperialism, uh, fear does seem to be connected to respect. And there's no need to fear someone that's not very powerful. Um, So I think there is no need for fear. There's no need to acknowledge or to try to address those things because in some ways that's a fight that's beneath you know, someone, you know, like, and so, uh, or at least, or at least that's part of the, the attitude. That's the way it feels to me. Um, so, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I don't think that, yeah, that's the thing we're talking about people who are dealing in power, people who are running the government, people who um, are running the judicial system, People who um, who are running um, who are running socioeconomically, who control us socioeconomically, they don't have to. they don't have to. And the the negative thing is in okay. The negative thing is is as soon as integration came into play, our businesses plummeted. Our dollar stopped circulating within our community. A lot of things stopped happening for us. So there's a lot of things in our community um, that integration um, hurt. So they don't have to do that. They don't have to give us anything. And I think that even though, even though reparations are owed to us, for what we've done and built within this country and what we've given to the people within this country. Um, I think black people need to make their minds up that we're not owed reparations anymore and that we're probably not going to get them. And that's just our reality. And I think we need to stop looking for reparations here and we need to start building for ourselves in another place. I think, okay, this is where I'm going to say you need to hear my heart. I really think we just probably just need to make a, okay. The reality is that we're probably not going to get them. That's the truth. Because they don't have to give them to us. We don't have the backing for them to give them to us. And unfortunately, the people we did have in in the government, the people we do have in Congress, the people we we do have that could do something, the we have had anti-lynching bills and police reform bills that have gone back and forth for over a decade. Honey, they ain't gotta do nothing for us. That's proof they ain't gotta do nothing for us. So do you mind if I interrupt? They ain't gotta do nothing for us. Yeah, uh, I 
I, I mean, I, I think we need to start assessing what our situation is in this country yeah. and start realizing that we don't, we're not owed nothing here, and they're not going to do nothing for us here. So I, I agree uh, that, that there's a president said that there's probably not a good reason to expect equity and, uh, and like, like the kind of fairness that we would hope for in the in the constitution right um we haven't really seen that and so but i do think that it's worth it to to be counted to create an opportunity for history to be made and to say okay you on the record we're going to put this in front of you and give you a chance to do the right thing in front of world history and if mm-hmm. you des- and if you decide not to do that, that's on you. That that is your decision. Um, I think it's worth it to make the effort. But I do think that I don't want to hinge my entire existence on hoping that the government is going to magically be kind and fair, because that's just not been the story that's a foolish thing to expect overall, but, and I do think we need to have an alternate uh, plan for for ourselves. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, and the reality is, is that we have the potential to do it ourselves. We, we have built our own communities ourselves, successful. We've done it multiple times. We have built our own successful communities ourselves grocery stores, banks, I mean, successful businesses, and they've been bombed. I mean, they're, they're yeah. in the history books. I yeah. mean, it's gone down in history as some of the most bloodiest massacres. Or just, or just, or just something just so happened to be a part of city planning where, yeah. you know, yeah, all and, it's and it just so happened to be a place in Chicago. Or, or all of our place in Tulsa. Or so Black Bottom Detroit, actually, where they built yeah. 75. Right. I've heard about that too. Oh, but they just built 75, right? Black Bottom. And it'll just it'll just pave right through the, uh, the yeah. business districts of uh, these communities, and suddenly that's been wiped out, and then it splits the community from the left to the right. It just, it's 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 a rough situation, but um. I, I think I've lost the question. Maybe we could get back on topic. <laughs> yeah. Clarity, you, you had something to put in? Um, I, I did want to um, ask, um, when, we, when we talk about um, the, uh, the Jewish um, victims of the Holocaust, when we talk about um, the, um, the um, Japanese um, citizens and the internment camps, we're talking about like snippets of history, you know, with a, with a culture um, where, you know, over maybe the course of um, a decade or so, you know, these uh, victims have been mistreated, but um, we're talking about, we're talking about essentially, you know, centuries of injustices done to uh, the Native American, and and for our intent and purposes tonight, the African American, um, you know, the African American um, people. 
Um, and I want to pose this question. Do you believe that that has anything to do with it? Um, considering that, you know, considering that um, there's been, there, there, there's been um, sort of a, 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 a very, very, uh, there's been a tremendous head start that was caused by slave owners um, that really um, makes it rather difficult to economically catch up. Um, mm. as far as that goes, and then also to historically catch up, considering mm. that this is a centuries, that this is a centuries-old problem. Mm. Dan, do you have anything with that? Just... No, I think everybody summed that up beautifully. I really actually have nothing I can contribute to that one. Mm. Okay. Anybody want to take the, um, the sub-question? So do I think it, so do I think that it's harder to catch up because slave owners have had um, have had uh, basically a head start? No, um, I'm sorry. I mean that that the stranglehold on on the black community, or essentially the African American um, people, this stranglehold has been on us for centuries. And mm-hmm. the, fact that, the fact that reparations could be given so easily to um, these other um, uh, these other uh, denigrated cultures is because those happened in snippets of time, as opposed to you know centuries of of, um, of abuse and neglect. This is such a that, that, do you think that that could contribute to the fear of paying reparations? And now it's just uh, may, maybe the snowball has just gotten has gotten to be too large. Maybe this is now maybe this is now a boulder. Yeah, like that's just the reason why they don't care. It's like, well, it's so long that I can't really. How can we really do it? They like we don't really need to care. Maybe that's part of it too. I'm so numb to the idea of reparations for some reason. And it's not because I don't think that it's important. And it's not that I don't think that um, there's value there. I just am concerned whether or not that is enough to really help solve the problems that are in the black community. Like there's, there's, there's kind of like a generational mindset that's not really quite healthy that's connected to things like the Willie Lynch letter, right? Like like these these ideas of kind of who you are even in your own community, the ideas that that almost any culture, any other uh ethnic group has a proper homeland. You know, if you can kinda think of anyone who may be Irish or, you know, <laughs> you know, like just from any other, uh, you know, Italian or, or a group, they can go to a homeland and feel a certain amount of connection based on their language and looking at people that, that are, that are embraced, you know, that embrace them. But you can say, okay, this is my kind of food. This is, this is this is how my people are. These are kind of how we act. These are how men treat men and how women treat women. We have 
a, a history, a story, uh, um, old fables, you know, and, and fairy tales that are connected to our history. Well, black Americans kind of are sort of stuck with black American history. And, and that does affect how you see yourself. So my, my, my point of saying that is there's something of a fear to me that if reparations show up, are we just going to purchase PlayStation 5? Are we just going to, you know, uh, are we just going to spend our money in a way that's not um, beneficial to our, our community? I, I hope we do. Um, and even if we do, it, are there barriers and ceilings that won't really allow us to move forward? I don't know. I think it's worth it to do it regardless. But I, I, just, I just think that there's more of a comprehensive issue. And I think reparations isn't enough, but I do think it's something that we should do. I don't, I don't think that anybody fears doing, you know, it, and I don't think the government is, is so low on its, um, on its list of things to do. I, I think it's almost a, a non-issue for them. I mean, that's, but that's my, I, I think they'd be more interested in student loans than they would be in reparations. Mm-hmm.